Good evening. The Calm Christian here. TGIF. I hope everyone's weekend is going well. This used to be the Sabbath for me, Friday nights. And sometimes I would be doing on the Sabbath what I'm doing now, which is listening to a sermon. But there was also this oppressive feeling on my head that there are things that I wanted to do that I couldn't do. Like I just read a science fiction story. I could never do that on the Sabbath, I felt. Because it was secular. So to read a science fiction story would be wrong. What else? To look at my phone would be wrong. But I kind of did it anyways and I felt very guilty. Whether Friday or Saturday is a Sabbath, I mean, it is, it is the day after Friday. And we've all worked five days a week, we've slaved away, and now, now we get a rest. And now this is a true rest because I don't have any anxiety about it. I just go about Friday night and Saturday, just like a regular other day. And in that way, I'm exempt from anxiety and I'm getting true rest. I'm thanking God there's a Saturday and then church for Sunday. And I'm already excited about church. Listening to a pastor and he was talking about judgment. And I was thinking about some of the things that I was taught and some of the things that I heard. And again, this is speculation. So taking the scriptures and reading it, but by no means enforcing this hermeneutic on anyone. It's my personal opinion. Maybe this is what I was trained or taught, so it's still in my head. There's always a bias to whatever it is that you've been taught as a youth. I really don't know when judgment happens, but I did want to read a passage of scripture to you, and then I will tell you why. So, I was taught that the judgment of God, you know, God is, God knows who has saving faith right now and who has not. God knows the future. God knows who's saved and who's lost. Because that's really the two sides, right? The godly or the ungodly. Saved or lost. Faith or faithlessness. Meekness or pride. He knows which side, right? So in the Bible, this is what it says. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 6. Which when of which when one of you has a grievance, so 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 6, reading from the ESV, has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? They will? Or we will? Like when will that happen? I thought God was doing that. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? We. Who's Paul talking about here? We. Who's we? How much more than that matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no, no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. I don't know about you, but this suggests that the saints will judge the world. Okay, God is judging sinners 
and saints. But when it says we will judge, what does that mean? Does it mean evaluate? And what I thought was is that the saints will get to judge the world during the thousand years. Let me read another verse to you. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Is that metaphoric? Is, does God have our books, quote, our book, unquote, open in, in, um, in heaven now and he's writing down what we do and what we don't do and what we're saved from? Is, so is 2 Corinthians 5.10, is that just a metaphorical, um, is that metaphorical? What about Matthew 25? Let me go to Matthew 25. Turning in the Bible now to Matthew 25. Turning, turning, turning. Matthew 25 says, um, before verse 31, so Matthew 25 verse 31, there's a little subheading in my Bible. It says, the final judgment. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will he be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then, verse 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, so it says he will say to them. Is that a metaphor? Or is that day going to happen? Is that actually going to happen? And when would that happen? Let's go to Revelation again. I want to show you some things here. Revelation. So Revelation 19.11 says the following. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. So is that God or is that Jesus? Well, or is it both? God is living in Jesus Christ. So is that what it means? And in righteousness he judges and makes war. He judges and makes war. He makes war against what? Sin? Against the devil? And then it goes on to say, that verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Dipped in blood, you mean that's Jesus' blood sacrifice for us? Is he making war against sinners? Is their blood splattered on him? It says here, verse 21, after the beast and the uh, after the beast are thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So this is what it says in Revelation 19, verses 20: the beast will be thrown alive into the lake of fire. But then it says, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So some people died. It's not going to be the saints because they're with Jesus. If, if you're with Jesus, if you love Jesus and you believe he's your savior, then when the sword comes out of his mouth in this chapter, it's not going to come on you. The wrath of God is not going to touch you. It's going to go over you and around you. Because you have Christ as your savior. That's what he's saving you from, the wrath of God against sin. But who are these other people who are getting killed? Now this is Revelation 19. Is this the second coming of Christ? And who are the people who get killed right at the very end? 
because it says during the thousand years I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit what is the pit is it hell is it earth how did the earth go from being earth to a bottomless pit I have seen many pictures um, by Jehovah's Witnesses and even by evangelical Christians that say during the thousand years Jesus will be in Jerusalem reigning in the temple uh, but the world will be there will be sinners in the world they'll all be alive and going around tickety-boo just as normal is that is that what it is because this passage confuses me then it says in Revelation so in, in 20 verses 4 it says it says the following verse 5 the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Who are these people who were dead and how coming to life? Is that the sinners? Is that some sinners? Is that the people who were with the beast? Is it all the sinners? If the righteous are alive, are they on earth or are they in heaven? Because they're with Jesus. It says in verse 4, um, I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. So you see, I'm jumping around a lot, but I'm just asking questions. We're just having fun. I don't tell you what to think. I just ask you to think about what I'm telling you, but I also don't tell you how to think. So this is maybe a how to think. We all have the same puzzle pieces in the Bible, but we're all trying to arrange it in different ways. What way seems more plausible than other ways? So we have the godly, the ungodly. We have Christ on the horse. We have God. We have some people dying, but maybe not all people. But the people who are dying are sinners. And then it says these people, I assume it's the same class of people. The rest of the dead, verse 5, did not come to life till the thousand years were ended. This is strange. And then it says in verse 7, When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. So Satan can only do something at the end of a thousand years. So during the thousand years, he can't do anything. He's chained to a, to a chain in a pit, you mean in hell or on the earth? He can't do anything. He can't, there's nobody for him to tempt or rile up or get angry or, or rally to his cause. But at the, at the end of the thousand years, somebody gets raised up. And those, those people, it says here, to deceive the nations. What were the nations doing during the thousand years? Were they awake? Were they conscious? What were they doing? Do you know what I'm saying? So what I'm trying to say is, is there a judgment going on during the thousand years? A judgment of God and Christ and a judgment that we, that the saints, I, I hope to be there, are part of or are allowed to see. Because we know our God is very transparent. God is about to undertake some kind of penalty action against sinners, some sinners or all sinners, at the end of the thousand years. I can't say for sure, it's just speculation. But if that's the case, what are they doing during the thousand years? And is God allowing the saints to see what exactly he decided about them?
You have not entered into judgment because you're a saint. But the sinners have entered into judgment because they do not have Jesus as their savior or their advocate. Is God inviting us to transparency is what I'm trying to say. If he has made a judgment, he is God and his judgments are right and true. But isn't the whole this whole controversy started because Satan said, you are not transparent, you are actually suppressing truth, and I'm here to enlighten truth. So God doesn't have to reveal truth to us, but it seems to me that God doesn't just act like a judge and a dictator, he actually partners with us. And if he's our partner with us through this life and in the life to come, isn't it so that the, the partner, our partner in life, and the CEO of the universe is inviting us to see what the judgments were against the people who were sinners? Does this make sense to anybody? Does it sound ludicrous to you? I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. I don't tell you what to conclude. I ask you to think about what I'm saying and draw your own conclusions. But I'm not really seeing the fact that the world during the thousand years is going to be just swimming along tickety-boo. It's a different time when somehow the devil is not allowed to tempt people. And I wonder why that's the case, because he always goes to tempt people. Why is he given um, free reign again at the end of thousand years? Who are the saints judging? Because it's said in 1 Corinthians 6 that we will judge the world. Again, I'm saying we. I'm assuming that I will be part of the new creation. So God will in open the books to, to the saints. And he will show the saints why he did he decide not to allow people to be part of the new creation. Why they are not allowed to enter the new universe in Revelation 21 um, slash 22. So you will, in a way, you will get to evaluate what God has done. Let me read another passage to you. Second Philippians, second Philippians, if I can find it. And I'm going to read second Philippian first. Sorry. Yes. Second Philippians. And it says the following, verse 9, Philippians 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When will this happen, and is this a metaphor? Is this a metaphorical phrase? Is this, do you acknowledge God at the end of your life, this life, when you're dying and you're in your deathbed? Is that what this means? Or does it mean that the people who are raised back to life again at the end of the thousand years, they're going to acknowledge God and Jesus? Satan is going to do something and then God and Jesus are going to put into motion some kind of a judgment or this will be the end of the judgment because you remember the saints have been alive during the thousand years for sure they have been with God and Jesus right it says that we will be with the Lord forever in first first Thessalonians 4 
verse 17. So you're going to be with God and Jesus. So you're, you're there or you're a bystander or something. But it says here that every tongue shall confess. Is this a real confession? Does everybody get on their knees and acknowledge that, yes, you were the Messiah? What does it say in Romans 2? Again, a lot of speculation, a lot of questions being thrown at you. I want you to think for yourself. These are the puzzle pieces that are in scriptures. They're in the Bible. But how do you arrange the puzzle pieces? Well, anything you do is you study and you get on your knees and say, Lord, I don't really know how this works. And can you show me? And remember something, it's not salvational for you to get it right. Do you want to be loving or do you want to be right? I would like to be right, but being right or trying to understand is secondary. Being relational and being right with God is primary. You may have the same puzzle pieces as me, and you have a different brain than I do, a different upbringing than I do, and you may see it in a different way. That's cool. Can we still be friends and unified in Christ as Christians, brothers who don't see it the same way? But there's a lot of questions in my mind about what, what the wicked are doing during the thousand years. Because I have been told something one way, but the, the scriptures don't, do not say this. The, some wicked are doing something. Also, Romans 2, verses 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. The doers of the law. Doing the law of Christ. Loving your neighbor. Loving God. Being a servant. For when Gentiles who, do, Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So the thing is that at the end of time, at the end of the thousand years, when there's some great conflagration, great battle, great Armageddon going on, there will be some kind of battle where the devil will rile up the sinners. But at some point, they will, they will see or they will acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. I would imagine that everyone that has ever lived will be on the surface of the earth and every knee will bow down to God and say, you were just and right but only the people who have had Jesus in this life will emerge past that moment. It is kind of confusing because there's a lot of different passages in the Bible about what happens. And let me take you back to, again, let me take you back to Revelation 19.11. It says the following, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Is that the second coming? Because it says in verse 15, from his mouth goes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. So that sword, the word of God, the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, strikes people down. And yet, in Revelation 20, there's some kind of a battle here now. Revelation 20, verses 7. And then it says, and then it says here in Revelation 20, verse 9, 
the fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So again, there's kind of a destruction. So Revelation 19 has a destruction of, of sinners. And again, Revelation 20 has a destruction of sinners. And this time the devil is included. So what happened here? I, I wonder, uh, it says in John, so let's just look in John and then I will close. Because I know I've thrown a lot of things at you. Again, it's just about having fun. It's about thinking for yourself. And it says here in John 5, it says in here, verse 27, John 5, 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So Jesus is the son of man and he's executing judgment. And then it says, verse 28, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Are there two resurrections here? And if the resurrection of judge, resurrection of life is for the, the, the saints, is the resurrection of judgment for the people who are not saints, the people who are ungodly? Does the, does the two resurrections happen at the exact same time? Or are they separated in time by a thousand years? Is, is John 5, 29 the same event as Revelation 20, verse 7? Because the, people, because the people who are in the resurrection of judgment, the resurrection of the damned, if that is true, if that is the people in Revelation 20, verses 7, they don't make it past Revelation 20, verses 9 and 10. They decide to fight with the devil, and at some point, God and Jesus says, hey guys, stop. Somehow that movement, that rebellion is stopped, and everyone bows the knee, including the devil, to God and Jesus saying, you are more righteous than me. True and just are your right, righteous judgments. But the devil will never capitulate and live with God again. He can't, he has no Holy Spirit, and he will forever remain a sinner. Isn't that a frightening thing? I think it's very frightening. Because it means that there's going to be two, there's going to be an evaluation of the sinners. But it seems from the scriptures that the saints will get to read the, the quote books, unquote, that God has created or made so that the saints will be able to look at this and say, yes, Lord, I agree with you. I see why you did what you have done. I see why there is somebody I expected to be here as part of the new creation. I see why they're not going to be here, why they are not here. I didn't understand, but thank you for showing it to me. God doesn't have to show us. He could just go ahead and decide. He knows right from wrong, but we don't know. God has been transparent from day one. It's the devil who has said all these things and accused God of stonewalling, of dragging his feet, and of being dictatorial and being upper management who's cool and aloof living in his um, 
ivory tower. God has not been like that at all. It's the devil who has been like that. It's the, it's the devil who has done this. And I know there's a passage in the Bible, and I cannot find it, where Jesus says, everything you say, everything you do, um, will be brought out into the light, and your own words will condemn you. So that God will just record our lives, and then he will make it available to the saints during the thousand years. So they will be able to see why God decided for a person, either for sainthood or for sinner, why God decided the way he decided. And finally, the Bible does say um, in the scriptures, it says in the following, Revelation 22 verses 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Who is righteous, let him be righteous still and let him who is filthy be filthy still. And so at the end of the thousand years, at the end of the ju at the end, there will be a judgment of sin, the resurrection of the judged, the resurrection of the damned. And God will make it right, put the universe back into right, and everyone will know that God is true and just in his evaluations and in how he proceeds to handle every single human case. Because God can see every human being from every angle, every factor, every perspective that we cannot see. God can see all our, he can see all of the facets of our character. But know that if you give your heart to Christ, you have, you have, um, you have not entered into judgment, you have passed through judgment and entered into eternal life. You have circumvented the wrath of God against sin. Isn't that wonderful? A long one today, but I hope that I helped you to have fun and made you realize how important it is to study scriptures. God bless.